Good afternoon, everyone. It's Dr. Nigro again with our next episode of Psychology Unplugged. This has been a really fun week. I think I've talked to, uh, emailed, texted probably well over the hundred people, um, nationally and, and, and internationally. And it's, uh, doing this podcast has been just a, a humbling experience. And uh, I really appreciate all the positive feedback and the impact uh, in a positive way that, that it is having on many people. So I'll give you my contact information again at the end of this episode. Uh, for those of you guys who follow this program, uh, you know, I do these episodes off the top of my head. Um, but this time I did make some notes because I wanted to make sure I, I, I covered everything. And this is, um, we're going to talk about um, cognitive behavioral therapy, but also irrational beliefs and cognitive distortions. And this is really the work of Albert Ellis, rationally motive therapy, um, rationally motive behavioral therapy, or an Aaron Beck's model of cognitive behavioral therapy, which many of you know who follow the program. That is what I was uh, specifically trained in. Uh, Julie and I differ um, on theoretical orientations, but we're, we're going to approach this from just a cognitive behavioral standpoint. So, again, I don't do much therapy anymore as a neuropsychologist. I, I focus primarily on, on diagnostics, but I, I do see a few people and primarily treat borderline personality disorder. So, um, in, in therapy, vocabulary is an incredibly important part of not only the therapeutic process, but really dissecting um, an individual's thought patterns. So just take the word need. I use it all the time. I need to go to the store. Uh, I need to take a shower. Uh, I need to get on the Peloton. Again, with the free advertising. But um, I think when you when, when people are in therapy and, and they use the word need, there's very little margin for error. And I try to help them change that from need to want. Because need, there is a very specific uh, predetermined outcome, whatever that might be. And anything short of that outcome could lead to an increase or proliferation in anxiety, depression, general malaise, uh, low frustration tolerance, whatever. So if you go back to Maslow's model, the only thing that we need at the most basic level of his hierarchy of needs is food, water, air, and shelter. Everything else really is a want. So it's really important working with patients when they have the, they, they, they perseverate that I need to do this. I need to find somebody. I need to be in a relationship. I need to switch jobs. I need to do that. It places way too much pressure on, on the individual. And, um, again, that, that very little margin for error. Um, you could even extrapolate that to I, I have to. Again, that places uh, an inordinate amount of, responsibility on on the individual to achieve some perceived desired result um so moving from like needs to wants is a much healthier and i think less burdening um terminology uh in 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 doing you know cognitive behavioral therapy so there, there there's, there's a lot of cognitive models of like stress anxiety psychopathology uh 
they're focused on like the the roles of like appraisal, attribution, uh, attribution of cause, interpretation of events, and you know, like like um, the elicit the uh, to, uh, the elicitation and maintenance of problematic coping skills. So you know LSU's like uh, I don't even think these are words in the dictionary. But he used words, uh, what he called were distortions uh, or biases. And one of his was he called it awfulizing. Uh, an example, um, it's it's terrible that I got a bad grade. Uh, demandingness or musts. I must be perfect or, or he or she must meet my needs. Uh, another one of his was global thinking. It's always happening to me. It, it 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 never works out. Um, low frustration tolerance. I um, I hate standing in line for so long. So um, he believed that those those musts and those um, distortions were really at the root of a lot of psychological difficulties. Um, Beck, you know, extrapolated that into, you know, what he called, you know, rational beliefs or or cognitive distortions. So I want to go through them because these are the things when you're doing cognitive therapy that you're really looking for. Where are the gaps and the flaws in the individual's thinking? Um in the cognitive therapy model is everything starts with a thought, which leads to a behavior and emotions are the byproduct of it. So let's start with the first one. All right. Mind reading. Okay. Mind reading is, is when you, you assume that you know what people think without having any evidence of their thoughts. So he thinks I'm a loser. She thinks I'm unattractive. He doesn't like me. My my boss hates me. We're we're, we're the individual is mind reading and, and 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 coming up with some ideology without um, really any evidence. Uh, no one has a crystal ball. Nobody can predict with precision human behavior. Okay. Uh, similar to mind reading is is fortune telling. This is where individuals predict the future. Uh, like things are just only going to get worse. I'm going to fail the exam. I'm not going to get the job. I'm never going to get married. Um, my wife is going to cheat on me. Uh, I'm going to get a flat tire. So individuals, it, 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 we'll get to this other one, catastrophizing, which is next. But, but you know, mind reading and fortune telling really are are they have a very negative connotation to them. They're, they're, the people are forecasting what they think is going to happen without really having any sufficient evidence to support that. So as I mentioned, catastrophizing, uh, this is where somebody believes that, that like whatever's happened or, or is going to happen is going to be so awful and unbearable uh, that they won't be able to stand it. Um, it would be awful if I failed. It's, it, it, my marriage is never going to work out. Um, the roof is going to collapse on my house. Uh, it's always worst case scenarios. And you see a lot of this in, in the affective disorders, especially like depression and, and anxiety. There's a lot of these, these cognitive distortions. Um, labeling is another one. This is where somebody, they, um, how do we say it? They, they assign like this global negative trait to themselves or to other people. Um, I'm undesirable. He's a, uh, he's a jerk. He's a pain. Uh, he's, 
unfaithful. She's not attractive. You know, we're placing labels. Again, if you start to see the theme, a lot of these distortions are negative, very negative, and it keeps people in that negative mind state. Um, another one, discounting positives. Okay, so in this one, uh, a person claims that the positive accomplishments, the positive accomplishments um, that they or other people attain are, are really trivial. Uh, for example, someone says that 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 that's what um, wives are supposed to do, so it doesn't count when she's nice to me. Uh, oh, passing that exam was so easy; it, it's 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 no big deal. Oh, so I got a promotion. Uh, Whatever I was, you know, my supervisor left and they thought I'd be, um, you know, I had enough seniority. Um, this is where people really kind of get stuck in this mindset of not even deserving or even entertaining the possibility that because of their attributes that they have, they got the person of their dreams. They got uh, through hard work and studying a good grade on the exam. They, they because of their good work performance, they, they did get promoted. So very common in depression do people discount the positives, uh, and, and they look through this this myopic lens of you know you draw a line, take a piece of paper and draw a line down um, the middle. Left side, write your good qualities. Uh, right side, your bad qualities. Generally, um, individuals. Um, I probably fit in this category myself. I think we, we can easily list off our bad qualities much easier than we could our good qualities, unless you're you are a narcissist. Um, another one is what's called the negative filter. Uh, this is where somebody just focuses just totally exclusively on, on the negatives and they rarely ever notice the positives. Um, so for example, like uh, look, all, look at all the people who don't like me. Look at all the people who think I'm attractive. Look at all the other people who um, are unhappy. Again, this very negative filter, this very negative lens. Think of it as looking through um, dirty glasses. You know, so um, you picture this woman. She's um, she they, she looks outside the window at her next door neighbor who was hanging her laundry. And she tells her husband, like, God, this woman does not know how to do laundry. And it happened the next week. She's like, see it again, Tom? She, I don't, they have dirty clothes or is their washer broken? Does she just not have laundry detergent? It goes on for a few weeks. And then one morning she is washing dishes at the kitchen sink. And she says, Tom, come here, come here, come and look. And He's like, look how white her sheets are. And Tom says, yes, I know, honey. That's because I washed our window. So, again, the filter by which you're looking out can really color and distort what the reality is. Because, you know, prior to Tom washing the windows, the sheets on the neighbor's clothing line were white the entire time. All right. Here's one that we all do: overgeneralizing. Uh, we 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 take we we get this um, 
perceive this global pattern of like negatives on the basis of like one event. Um, this generally happens to me. Uh, I seem to fail at a lot of things. Uh, everybody doesn't like me. No one wants to be my friend. Um, no one likes me on Facebook. This, this really, this overgeneralization that, you know, the question you would ask somebody that I would ask is, so you take a kid at school. No one likes me. Okay. This is the process called, I think I mentioned this long episode, a few, the episode like CBT, a technique called vertical descent. Okay. So you're saying no one likes you. All right. No one likes you at school. Okay. Have you met everybody at school? Well, well, no. Okay. So where do you come up with the ideology that no one likes you? Well, no, nobody in my grade likes me. Okay. Have you met everybody in your grade? Do you know everybody's name? Well, no. And you go through this process and you break it down and you realize the person, there's maybe three or four people that this this teenager perceives does not like them. So it's a very effective technique from taking these global attributions and like peeling an onion, you're getting to the root or the root or the cause. Julie makes fun of me all the time for my Midwest accent, so I apologize. Um, so overgeneralizing is, is really, again, very prevalent in uh, the anxiety disorders, uh, PTSD, OCD, uh, the, the depressive disorders. Um, next, uh, what, what, what are you down here? Dichotomous thinking. Okay. This is, this is your black and white, all or none thinking. Uh, things are either good. Things are either bad. Things are, it's happy. It's sad. It's, it's black or it's white. It's up or it's down there. There's, it's a, it's a very linear type of thinking with no, understanding awareness or appreciation for anything in between that could be a possible explanatory cause for whatever situation or level of distress or problem whatever somebody is going through okay next one geez my handwriting i think it's worse by the day uh shoulds all right woulda coulda shoulda thinking i think we all do that uh, when you, when we, when we use the, the, when we get into the cognitive distortion of should, we really start to interpret events in terms of how things should be than re really focusing on what it is. Well, she should be nicer. Your mother-in-law should know me better. Um, that store clerk should know that I spend a lot of money at this store. And you like, again, back to mind reading, and you see a lot of these, uh, you can see a lot of these cognitive distortions are, are interconnected to one another. Uh, but what it could have should, what it could have should have thinking is paralyzing. It keeps somebody completely stuck and they ruminate about the past. And I've talked about the past is, yes, we all have one. Some pasts are more painful, but the beauty of the past is that's where it remains in the ether of time. Uh, go back to the episode I did on perception of the past and, and go back to the wake of the boat metaphor. I think it's a great, uh, you know, Wayne Dyer used it. And I think it's a great um, analogy for really understanding 
the amount of power that we do have in in managing, compartmentalizing, acknowledging, and coming to terms with our past. Um, but but you know when we use the word should, again, people don't read our minds, and we don't read other people's minds. There's there I think there's an inherent uh, expectation. You see this a lot in in relationships and in, in couples therapy. Um, Again, back to vocabulary. Uh, a couple comes in and they say, "Well, you know, they just got married. They're young. They move into town. They bought their first house." And and the wife sits down and says, "He doesn't show me affection." Okay. Ask the guy, "What what do you think she means by that?" He's like, "I don't, I don't know." So we tell the couple. Um, well, let me let me backtrack. <clears throat> this was actually a couple that I saw years ago, briefly, and it's pretty clear what the issue was. So, young couple, um, she comes in um, and says the same thing. He, he doesn't show me affection, and he is kind of looking like look, they look like a reasonably happy couple, young couple. Um, I remember saying to them, "Okay." Um, I you know whatever his name was. I said, "All right, uh, why don't you come back next week and in between those, between now and next week, show her affection." And that was that was the session. I, I didn't even bill them for any of this, and I, I'm surprised they came back. She's like, "Seriously, that's it? Yeah, that's it. Show show her affection." Come, they come back the next week, and she could tell she's not in a good mood. It's like, is this going to be worth our time? You say you're a doctor. I said, "Yeah, just you know." want to see how it went so she reached in her purse and she throws this card on my desk and i read the card and it was really nice and you know besides you know the hallmark you know notations you know he wrote something which i thought was very nice romantic and 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 complimentary um definitely showed love and attention and affection and she sits there with her arms crossed, waiting for me to kind of align with her. Like, mm-hmm, all right, all right, now go. Now you're gonna do some work and and do your job and tell me what to say. I said, all right, tell me, tell me what about this card? He's like, okay, you told me show her affection. Um, I took an extra hour off my lunch break. I went to Walgreens. I went to CVS. I went to Rite Aid, and I, I looked through as many cards as I could to find the one that would really, really explain how I felt about her. And again, she's sitting there with her arms folded. I could visualize her right now, thinking, "Oh, geez." Um, but so she's like, "See, see, that's what I tell you. No affection." I said, "Let me ask you something. Did you ever tell him what you meant by affection?" Well, he should know. I said, "Really? Okay." I took out a piece of paper, gave her a piece of paper. Gave him a piece of paper. I said, let's all write our definition of affection down, and I guarantee you all three will be different. We all wrote it down. Sure enough, all three were different. Light bulb kind of went off in her head. It's like, oh, I never looked at it that way. So what do you mean by affection? I mean, I miss, you know, don't be on your phone when we're watching TV. You know, give me a back rub. You know, hold my hand in public. And he's like, I, I had no idea. I mean, he looked like, like 
it was like relationship like one on one. Like he had no idea like this is what he was supposed to be doing, but he had every intention and desire of wanting to do it. So again, this is where, you know, assuming that people know what we want and people assuming that we are capable of of meeting someone's needs or wants without having any knowledge that that's what they want, it's, you know, we hold people sometimes to standards. You can't hold anybody accountable until you first make them aware of it. Simple as that. So just a brief analogy, I think I saw them for like two more sessions. Again, didn't even charge them. Um, and I think they, they everything turned out to be well. All right. Back to the cognitive distortions. Uh, what do I okay, remember writing here? Uh, personalizing. All right. Another one we, we do a lot. This is where we attribute, uh, I think, a disproportionate amount of the blame for anything negative to ourselves and and fail to see that other people or other extraneous factors or variables may be the contributory or explanatory factor. Um, you know, my marriage ended because I failed. I didn't pass the exam because I'm stupid. Um, I didn't get the promotion because I'm not good enough or my boss isn't like me. So personalizing takes on a very, is a very heavy burden because the individual sees themselves as being the sole explanatory cause for whatever problem or problems that they may be experiencing. Uh, so we have personalizing and then, then we have blaming. Uh, this is when we focus on the other person as the source of, the, of, of any negative feeling or negative mood state. And we refuse to take any re- responsibility for changing ourselves. Um, no, it's her fault. I'm upset. You know, the teacher was a jerk. You know, that's why I didn't pass. You know, it's, it's a great way. Again, again, if you go back to the locus of control model, this is really uh, uh, the external locus of control where you're blaming the situational variables of what's going on in, 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 in your life or our lives on, on somebody else and not, not taking any responsibility that, you know, maybe you didn't pass the exam because you didn't really study, you know, maybe the marriage failed because you really weren't engaged in it or there was infidelity or, 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 or a variety of reasons. Um, all right. Another cognitive distortion, unfair comparisons. This is when we interpret events um, in terms of standards that are unreasonable, and we focus primarily on other people who do better than us, and we judge ourselves as being inferior in comparison. Uh, He's more successful than I am. They have more money than I do. They drive a nicer car than I do. Um, Their marriage is happier. Their kids go to a better school. And, you know, again, it this can you, if you can see the common theme how how heavily this can weigh on the sense of self um another one regret orientation this is when we focus on the idea that you could have done better you know in, in the past this is where you get into the woulda coulda shouldas and again it's it's an interesting concept you know to maybe try to figure out why something didn't work out but you know that again that's where the past remains in the ether um, and people tend to ruminate excessively on this, and it, it it could certainly exacerbate depression, exacerbate anxiety, exacerbate like, what if, you know, she broke up with me, um, 
I should have given her more cards. I should have been more attentive. I should have taken her out to dinner more. I should have said I love you more. I should have been more intimate. Yes, that maybe, but you know, you have to be able to realize that that in in any type of relationship, it takes two people, and and nobody is is, is perfect. Nobody is always. No one is ever going to give a hundred percent of what 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 our expectations are. I think we try our best in relationships. Um, but people, this is where you know, the regret orientation is. People really get stuck in the past, and you know maybe the other person had an issue that was being you know something completely outside the realm of anything to do with the relationship. Maybe they had a psychiatric condition that they were dealing with that you may or may not have been aware of. And they needed to take a break from the relationship. So regret, um, you know, it 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 it's really can be consuming. And, you know, it can almost turn into something like the telephone game between, you know, what what really transpired and then going down this rabbit hole into this really dark place, uh, all, the, all the while hypothesizing that if you had done X, Y, and Z, that the outcome would have been different. All right. Uh, another cognitive distortion. What if? This is very common in the anxiety disorders. Yeah, but what if I get anxious? Uh, what if I can't catch my breath? What if I can't pass the exam? What if I go on a date and they don't find me attractive? What if I never become as successful as my siblings? What if, what if, what if? It, it's, it's a cyclical pattern that can keep somebody paralyzed. So I remember the psychiatrist who asked a woman, she was, um, Sorry, she was 40 years old and she was depressed because she didn't go to college. And he said, all right, how long would it take you to get a four-year degree? I mean, how long would it take you to get, get your degree? And she says, four years. All right, how old are you going to be in four years? He said, 44. Do you get my point? You could be, you're going to be 44 either way, but you can be 44 with or without a college degree. Uh, emotional reasoning. This is never a good one. This is when our feelings guide our interpretations of reality. Uh, I'm depressed, therefore I'm unlovable. Uh, any decision based on emotion generally is never a good one. When emotion, I tell people all the time, my patients, when emotion goes up, logic goes down. Um, you know, you think about emotional spending, uh, emotional eating, um, just anything that, that that's based on emotion uh, generally doesn't have good outcomes. Uh, another cognitive distortion, the inability to disconfirm. This is when we reject evidence or arguments that might contradict our negative thoughts. So, for example, uh, somebody has a thought like, um, I'm unlovable. And, and the person then rejects, rejects as irrelevant any evidence that people like them. Uh, and then constantly, and if they maintain that mindset, their thought can't be refuted. Uh, people will often say like, you know, th that's not the real issue. There's, there's deeper issues. They're not even willing to entertain the possibility, again, of other explanatory factors 
or contributory factors that are maintaining whatever cognitive state that they are in. Um, and another cognitive distortion is what's called judgment focus. This is when we view ourselves, we view other people, we view events in terms of like very black or white evaluations, good or bad, superior, inferior, happy, sad. Um, it, rather than simply like describing, accepting, or just understanding, understanding people are just when they use like judgment focus, they're 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 constantly measuring themselves um, according to like these arbitrary standards um, that they may not even be aware of, or they think other people have set for them. Um, it, it's constantly like it's, it's, I think with judgment focus, it, it, it's also a form of like self handicapping. So, you know, if I already prepare myself that I'm going to fail, then if I do fail, the, it'll lessen the blow. So I wanted to just these are the these are the general cognitive distortions that that we try to what's called cognitive restructuring that we try to do in cognitive behavioral therapy. So, you know, if you guys uh, listen to this episode a few times. Uh, again, we all do these things. We all do these things. I'm sure I do it on a some of these on a regular basis. And um, I think when it becomes part of, it becomes automatic. It becomes habitual. It becomes problematic. That's when you'll start to see it. And, and these are one of the you know fundamental tenets as you're beginning. Uh, work in cognitive therapy is, 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 as you start talking with a patient, um, you, again, you won't find this from a neuropsych eval, but I say it every episode, therapy and meds without testing is like surgery without an x-ray. If you have, or someone in your family has a psychiatric condition, or you suspect it, get a full neuropsych eval. That is the only way to determine what it is and not just what it is, but how it expands specific to you or somebody else in your family. If you get into the therapeutic process with somebody who does cognitive therapy, this is one of the first things that you're doing and, and as, as you're listening to how we, you know, a person uh, explains their situation or, or, or tries to justify their situation. You'll, the, the more you, I mean, the more you have done therapy, it, you pick this stuff up really quick. And it, it, it's very uncommon that, you know, people are going to have all, all of these distortions. And, you know, there's a lot of crossover between them, but, you know, it's, it's really breaking down the, the, the cognitions and, and the mindset in the thought patterns and deconstructing them to alter it into a more adaptive uh, way of thinking and at least getting a person to start to entertain a possible other way of thinking and a possible and the possibility of alternative explanations for their current situation. And, you know, again, the, these are just sticking with like depression and anxiety. You'll see these across all psychiatric conditions. Um, but again, this is how we navigate through the world. We navigate through the world by distorting reality because there, I mean, my, my, my perspective is there is no reality. There's only perception. Two people can see or witness the exact same event and have two totally different uh, cognitions and emotional reactions to that event. So when I ask, you know, people about any other history of like, you know, any, you know, any history of abuse, physical, sexual, emotional, verbal, mental, then I'll ask them any other history of trauma. And what I explain is trauma is subjective. 
uh, it, it, you know, two individuals could have transpired or two, two individuals could have experience the exact same event and have had two totally different reactions to that event. So, you know, um, like I said, perception is, is, is the, the foundation of what you're trying to identify. I think, I, I think I use this example. I used to buy these yellow tinted glasses all the time until people just they start breaking them. I was like, all right, I'm just going to use the metaphor. So beautiful sky blue sky although it's getting dark here in massachusetts already um yellow tinted glasses ask patient what color would it be they say green no it's blue so the goal of cognitive therapy is to take off the patient's glasses redo the prescription so they see themselves they see other people. They see the world around them in a different, healthier, more adaptive way, which would then reduce this, the frequency, severity, and duration of whatever symptoms they are experiencing. So uh, just wanted to go over this because um, it, it, this kind of came up in a lot of different conversations I had with people this week uh, for, for a variety of reasons. And again, I am truly humbled by how many people are coming, have come from very far away for me to test them. Um, and how many people are surprised that I actually answer my phone or return voicemails or text messages. So if, if you've gotten in contact with me and I haven't gotten back to you yet, I think I've gotten back to pretty much everybody, but there may be one or two, uh, definitely, uh, reach out to me. Uh, texting me is always the best way to get a hold of me. You can email me at, uh, psychology unplugged at outlook.com. You can get a hold of me through psychology today. Uh, my cell phone number. Uh, 617-750-9411, Eastern Standard Time in the United States. If I could be of any help to you, answer questions, encourage you to get a neuropsych eval. Um, you know, I, I just, I, this is truly done out of passion. I've said this before. It's, this is my modest version of God's work. Uh, for the grace of God, I never feel like I am working. I, I, I love what I do. Uh, I try to help as many people as I can. Uh, Julie does as well. Um, and I really appreciate all the comments and the feedback. And, you know, some people have, uh, asked, you know, for different topics. Um, so we'll get to ones on what it's like growing up with a parent with a personality disorder, uh, a little bit more on trauma, uh, eventually get to the autism spectrum disorders. But, um, you know, as the ideas pop into my head, that's kind of what I go with. And I appreciate all of you guys who are along on the ride with this program. So until next week, take care of yourselves, take care of each other, be well, question everything. And, you know, whether it's yourself or somebody else in your family, you know, take a look at these cognitive distortions, the, these irrational beliefs, um, because this is how we navigate and this is how we operate through the world. Again, when it becomes pathological, that's when you need to get into therapy, get into treatment. And the earlier you can get into treatment, the easier it is to treat. Um, 
like with anything, the quicker you can catch it. And the way to catch it is with a neuropsych eval. And that, from there, that, that, that becomes your treatment plan. So again, much appreciation and gratitude for the, for everybody who's following this program. Can't believe there's so many of you guys, uh, continue to do my best to provide as much information and knowledge and hopefully, um, you know, our, our passion comes across as we do this program. But until next week, I will talk to you guys. Be well. Enjoy the beginnings of the holiday seasons. And what was it? Well, Julie's whispering something. Um, until next time, be well, guys. I'll talk to you next week. Thanks. Bye.